coming from the earthy Central Valley to the high-tech Silicon Valley felt intimidating. How does ministry look in the Silicon Valley? Are there screens everywhere? Does everyone have five social media accounts and the latest gear? Will the same style of sermons work, or do I need to change it with light shows and fanfare to accompany every illustration? Will it be necessary to have a certain level of charisma because everyone's used to some regular motivating speech from a top, top executive? Now, as I've joked with friends, I'm about the oldest person my age. So these questions I had were truly fears as I, as I anticipated coming to St. Timothy's. But to my surprise, my questions and fears were unfounded. I came to discover that many of you are at St. Tim's, are here and committed because this is not a mirror image of your life in corporate America. Many of you are here because you don't want a light show. You don't want a gimmick. You don't want to be sold something. You don't want church to reflect corporate America. You're here because you want something real. You want authentic community. You want to be known. You want to know God, and most of all, you want to follow Jesus with your whole life. Your faith is the most important part of your life. So you are here, committed to Christ's church through every season and every storm. At the beginning of our most recent storm, this pandemic, there was so much negativity everywhere, and we could feel it even inside ourselves. It was palpable. There were articles and stories of pastors who said that they probably wouldn't weather this storm, not necessarily because they no longer felt called to ministry, but because their congregations were so hard on them. At the beginning of the pandemic, I read this article of a pastor who said that one of his congregants kicked down his office door because he was so angry with him. So I've got to say, it's been an incredible gift not to be able to relate to stories like that. You've been kind, compassionate, and understanding, even though your lives have experienced tremendous disruption. Much of last year, the officers of the council, or what we call the admin team, met with the pastors every week so that we could seek wisdom and support, seeking how to chart these unknown waters of COVID. And though not everyone is back and engaged in this community, many are, and you continue to offer your gifts to be a blessing to our church and to our local community. So I wanted to say thanks. We've been through a lot together, and it's important to remember and give thanks. It's also important to remember that it's not just the pandemic that we've recently weathered. Coinciding with this large trying reality has been the experience of grieving the loss of long-term leadership and adjusting to new leadership. It's a true test of the church when leadership changes and storms arise like the pandemic. 
how will the church respond? Is the flock only present when it feels familiar? When a certain pastor or leader is at the helm? When the conditions are just right and comfortable? Or does the church leave when it feels less comfortable, more shaken? I am proud and thankful for the response of St. Timothy's Lutheran Church during this season. What could have been a perfect storm or a perfect excuse for you to disengage has instead opened the door to more authentic community and the sharing of your gifts in an even greater way. I am thankful, and we praise God for that. Though we're not out of the woods yet, we will get there. We will get to a place of greater safety and familiarity. And the great thing is we're on this journey together. We're following Jesus together. And this pandemic has revealed how true that is. We are on this journey together. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus was also on a journey with his disciples to Jerusalem. And as they got closer, it increasingly felt like a movement. Join the crowd or get out of the way. This is exciting. we got to be here for this. They could learn from this rabbi, this teacher. They could also challenge him and follow him. Perhaps he would succeed in establishing his kingdom. And who wouldn't want to be a part of that? That's precisely what James and John asked for earlier in the chapter. Let us sit, one of us at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Though Jesus had told them three times that he would suffer and die, his disciples still thought that when he established his kingdom, it would be something powerful, glorious, something that they want to be a part of. They want to sit on the right and on the left. They want to be in power. Jesus' disciples didn't get it. They missed it every time. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says, I will suffer and die, or the Son of Man will suffer and die and be raised. But the disciples don't get it. The first time, Peter rebukes Jesus. The second time, the disciples argue over who's the greatest, and then this third time, James and John want to sit on his right and left. They don't get it. Jesus has just described that he will suffer and die this third time, and they want to be on his right and left. They don't know that what that means is on a cross. But in this chapter, we now find ourselves in Jericho, on the road, traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem. And in the midst of the mounting momentum of the crowd, a man becomes the center of the scene. Most translations read like the NIV in verse 46. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. What's interesting is that this is a pretty different sentence structure than if we were to more literally translate the Greek. If we did that, it would sound more like this. The son of Timaeus, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar sat along the way. Now, I put this up here so that hopefully you could compare the two. What do you see is different between these two structures? Okay. So in the second one, how the Greek has it written, 
we first hear about the person, the lineage, and only later about the condition, the disability. In the Greek, his name comes before we find out about any disability. Mark wants the reader to recognize the person first. He is the son of Timaeus, which means honor. A son of honor has entered the scene, and we only later discover that he's got a disability and that he's treated with dishonor in society. This is a story of honor and shame. Jesus' disciples asked for positions of honor in Jesus' kingdom, but they had no idea what they were asking for. Then when Jesus passes by this man, whose name means son of honor, he is instead treated with dishonor. So likely those who first heard this story were surprised. They thought that Mark might interrupt this exciting story to talk about a rich person or another person that society might deem important. They heard that a son of honor had come into their midst only to discover that he was blind and a beggar. But those who walked with Jesus that day knew exactly who this man was. He was Bartimaeus. He was a blind beggar who sat there every day on his cloak, collecting money, and likely responsible for his blindness, that or his parents were. They'd probably tossed money his way frequently. They had had mercy on Bartimaeus. But now he was in the way. This was not what Jesus was going to do. So it's best to shush him and get him out of the way. He can't follow them to Jerusalem, so push him out of the way. But instead, he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Or as the Greek has it, son of David, Jesus, have mercy on me. So just like Mark wants the reader to recognize the person first, Bartimaeus actually refers to Jesus' title first. Son of David, Jesus, have mercy on me. He is showing honor to this man, Jesus. Jesus is the descendant of King David. He is the coming Messiah, the one to establish the coming kingdom. And Jesus needs to take notice of him. The crowd tries to shush him, but he cries out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. He doesn't want to hear the clink of one more coin on his cloak. He wants healing and honor. And then he hears the crowd summoning him to Jesus. So he jumps up, abandons his cloak, and comes to Jesus. The man no longer needs his cloak to collect any more coins. So he throws it aside and he comes to Jesus. His life will be different and he knows it, so he leaves it behind. And Jesus, though he knows that the man is blind, doesn't just immediately tell him that he's healed. He invites the man to tell him what he'd like him to do for him. When Jesus just recently asked his disciples what he wanted them to do for them, what he wanted him to do for them, they said, we want to sit on your right and left in honor. When he asks Bartimaeus this question, Bartimaeus says, Rabbi, I want to see. Though Bartimaeus is blind, 
He is the one person who actually gets it. He is the only one who truly sees Jesus. He knows that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah, the one we're throwing caution to the wind and abandoning everything for. Bartimaeus is the model disciple. Jesus then bestows honor on him by commending his faith and restoring his sight. Go, Jesus says, your faith has healed you. Bartimaeus doesn't go, but he abandons the life he's known to follow Jesus. He will follow Jesus, even to Jerusalem, even to the cross. Many of you know, many of you know Nathaniel. He officially became a member of St. Timothy's a few months ago, but our staff has joked that he was the most, uninv- the most involved non-member that they've ever seen because he's involved in the fish food pantry, youth cornerstone, grow groups, uh, prayer group, and I'm sure that there's, there's more that I could add to this list. Nathaniel is so refreshingly honest and kind, and it's always a privilege to hear him share his thoughts on life and faith. At prayer group a couple of weeks ago, he shared his reflections on Numbers 11. This was the passage we heard a handful of weeks back where Moses pleads with God to kill him because the people are so unbearable. God, be merciful to me and just kill me. I can't handle this people. But instead what God does is he takes some of the power of the spirit that is on him and places it on 70 others so that they can bear the burden with Moses. After Nathaniel reminded of this story, he said, notice what God did. God took some of the power from Moses and placed it on 70 others. Moses already had that power in him, but he didn't recognize it. He had this incredible power of the Holy Spirit, but he couldn't appreciate it until God had placed it on 70 others, until it was shared. And then he asked, How often do I not see what the Spirit is doing, the gifts that God has given me? How often am I unaware of Jesus' presence in my life? Nathaniel's reflection is such a gift because we can all relate to this. How often are you and I blind to the movement of the Spirit, to the gifts of God, to the presence of Jesus? When we're honest with ourselves, we admit that we're often blind. And we are much more like that crowd than Bartimaeus in Mark 10. We'd rather follow the spectacle to learn from and maybe even challenge the master. We'd rather be powerful. We'd rather be esteemed and influential. And when a detractor gets in the way, we'd rather shush them and push them out of the way. Because healing a blind beggar couldn't possibly be the most important thing to Jesus in this moment. Couldn't possibly be what Jesus wants to do. Jesus wants to do something bigger than this man. But that's just the thing. Jesus' purpose is not to get swept up in a movement, to honor the powerful, or to place anyone on a pedestal. His purpose is to bring honor to the beggar to the one who needs healing and has experienced shame. His purpose is to save, 
to bring the joy of his presence in the most lowly of places, to bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. We're on this journey together, and we join Bartimaeus with confidence in following Jesus, not because we're worthy, but because we know we are beggars in need of Jesus. And this is precisely the kind of people that Jesus calls to follow him. As Luther said, we are all beggars. This is most certainly true. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your church. Thank you for the gift that, we, that you have given us in each other. I thank you for the gift of the kindness of the congregation in this season. And I pray that you would continue to sustain each one of us, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we pray that you would continue to transform us into the likeness of Jesus, who sees the person that most people would push aside. We pray that we would recognize the movement of your spirit and how you are now bringing your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Continue to change our hearts and minds in the likeness of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.